to Luke chapter 8. I'm not going to read the whole passage, just a portion. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, it's page 1018. But this very familiar passage is Luke's account of the birth of Christ. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. And we'll be reading through verse 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Or as the more traditional reading is, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. We ask for the Spirit's guidance that we might clearly see a message here for us. Help us to understand what was being said here. Let us see in Jesus our one true source of peace. It is for his precious name we pray. Amen. Some of you may remember, I don't know if it's still on the air or not, a few years ago there was a television commercial ad for insurance. It showed these sweet little old ladies, three of them, one of them had invited them into her home. The hostess had was boasting, oh, look, instead of mailing everyone my vacation photos, I'm saving a ton of time by posting them on my wall. And then she turned and showed pictures all over her wall as though this is what she understood Facebook to be. And one of her guests said, ooh, I like that one. And then the third one, who was kind of bewildered, said, this is, no, let me back up a moment. The hostess said, I save so much time by doing it this way. It's just like my car insurance. It's, I save 15% in just 15 minutes. And then the third lady says, Well, I save more than that at half the time. And then the hostess turns to her and says, I unfriend you. And then this third lady stands up. This is not how this works. This is not how any of this works. It's a cute commercial. It makes its point. Comparing insurance to Geico. Geico always boasted about, say, 15% in 15 minutes. Well, insurance says you can do more than that in half the time, I don't know if any of it was true. 
I've learned that senior citizens, and I'm, I include myself, don't understand all the buttons and switches and things on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We use it primarily for communicating with family. Sometimes senior citizens don't understand all of the things about insurance either. But let me transition for a moment. When the angels on the hillside made the announcement of the birth of Christ, glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. I cannot say I am opposed to that translation, but looking at the New Testament Greek, it's more accurate, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We think we know what peace is. But I'm not quite sure we know how any of it works, or how any of it was supposed to work, or how any of it should work. We're a little bit confused because we are generations away from what peace was truly meant to look like. We do not understand what it really meant. We do not realize what... We do not understand what it really meant. We do not realize what it really meant. We think we know what peace means. We think we know what it looks like. We think we know what it feels like. But we don't. Not the true peace that was meant to be. If we were to define peace, we would see it as a state of tranquility and quiet, such as freedom from civil, civil disobedience, freedom from a state of, we would have a state of security or order within a community provided for by law or by custom. This is Miriam's definition, and it's a good one. Peace can be understood as a state of concord or agreement between governments. And there have been many governments in the world who have technically been at a state of peace, but they've always been behind the scenes, posturing, avoiding, looking for, watching out for possible threats or danger. Some of them even planning aggression and others defending against planned aggression. There's never really been any true peace among nations We can also understand peace as freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, peace within our own hearts and our minds. So many people struggle with reaction in their life from abuses and neglect. Sometimes it's physiological, sometimes it's relational. We can also understand peace it's just simple harmony in person relations. We do understand a measure of defined peace, but it's, it's loose understanding. It's, it's not pure peace. I contend that we do not know perfect peace or perfect tranquility. Today, we only see that which does not truly work. Was there... And the church 
And Bible teachers and preachers keep talking about the peace that we find in Christ Jesus. And the church always declares peace. But when the world looks at us and hears our message of peace, what are they really seeing? And what are they really understanding? I just read just this weekend an article published in World Magazine written by Kevin DeYoung. And he quotes a book written by D.A. Carson. I have to get all my footnotes in order. But it's what Carson wrote that kind of opens up a little understanding here about what do we truly believe as a people, as a Christian community, as a church. And Carson uses an example of a young lady going off to college. Miss Christian goes off to a local state university, full of zeal and the knowledge of a few fundamental truths. There she will not find lecturers who will devote much time to overturning her truths. Rather, she will find many lecturers convincing her that the meaning of her religion, as in all religion, is merely communal, bias, and therefore relative subjective. Truth, whatever it is, does not reside in an object or idea or statement or affirmation about reality, historical or otherwise, that can be known by finite human beings. Rather, it consists of fallible, faulty opinions held by finite knowers who themselves look at things that certain way, that certain way only because they belong to a certain section of society. So D.A. Carson is showing us that when the world looks at us, they see us as someone who belongs to a certain section of society that our understanding of peace and love, or even our hope in Christ, is just nothing but communal bias. It's relative. It's subjective. There's nothing objective about it. But what we see here today in Scripture is an objective reality of peace found in Christ. Was there ever such a time where we could really understand, where anyone really understands what peace truly was? There was in the garden before the fall. Adam and Eve had perfect peace between one another. They had perfect peace with creation itself. They had perfect fellowship with God. No one here has ever experienced anything like that. We can try and imagine, but we don't know what it's like. They had a fellowship with God that no one here, if we are in Christ, I think we have a taste of it. We have an aroma, a fragrance of it. but we struggle to really understand the full ramification of that kind of fellowship with God because we still struggle with sin. We still wander away. The first time it ever happened put an end to something that Adam and Eve both enjoyed. In Genesis 3.8, this is after the fall, after they partook of the fruit, 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I've said it in my relationship with my wife very early in our romance. Perhaps you and your spouse have shared the same kind of thoughts when we first fall in love. Let's never keep any secrets. It's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful goal. But we all keep secrets. We might not want to, but we all keep secrets. Have you ever noticed your wife or your husband? Sometime in their life, they seem distant, they seem distracted, they're not talking, they're not communicating, they're not engaging, and you wonder what's wrong. It doesn't have to be relational infidelity. They just might have burdens at work or something else going on. And they're not sharing because they don't want to burden anyone else, but it's plain to see there's something wrong. They're keeping secrets. Relationship may not necessarily be broken, but something's not right. It's often very tragic whenever a relationship is broken and someone is unfaithful and they're keeping that secret, then the breach is deep and wide and can never be restored or very rarely can be restored. Something is kept secret. There is no perfect peace. Husband and wife can no longer truly be one. And that's what happened in the garden. Before the fall, Genesis 3.8 suggests that this was something regular. That they expected the Lord every day in the cool after they kept the garden. At the end of the day, fellowship with the Lord Most High. They knew he would be there, so they hid themselves. And when the Lord came to walk with them at the end of the day, something was different. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Peace had been broken. Peace in the garden had been shattered. Adam and Eve were keeping secrets, and it's never been the same since. Peace has never been experienced the way it should have been experienced since. How foolish could anyone be? Adam and Eve thought, I'll believe this lie that this serpent suggested. I'll make decisions on my own. I don't have to listen to what God tells me to do. Peace was broken. Because of their sin, there were consequences. In verse 18 of Genesis 3, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and and." In pain you shall bring forth children. I don't have time to fully exegete this scripture. Let me just kind of summarize and remind you, and all of you know, 
that moms, and even that this is not just in birthing children, this is rearing and raising children. There's a lot of joy and gladness with raising children, particularly when they're very young, but there is also a lot of worry and fear and even dread and sometimes heartbreak. No perfect peace. We work for peace. We hope for peace. We might enjoy many peaceful relationships with our children and with our family, but it's not perfect peace because we are all sinners. There is always the remnant of heartbreak and pain because of disobedience and rebellion. I've had problems in, with members in my own family where my heart has been broken, my heart has been disappointed, and there are still some relationships in distant relationships in our distant family where addictions and sin have just kind of torn the family apart. And we grieve for that kind of thing. And sometimes we see the Lord restore relationship, bring someone in repentance back home. But the pain of the breach remains. We weep and we cry over those years lost forever. We enjoy so much the, the account of the Samaritan, excuse me, the prodigal son who left of his own accord, left in pride and arrogance of his own sin and ruined his life the Bible does not talk much about the years the father grieved. We only see how much the father rejoiced when he came home. He lost some years of that young man's life, his son's life, never to be regained. There is pain and anxiety in childbearing and raising. There is pain and disappointment in marriage. Genesis 3 says... The Lord said to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Again, I don't have time to fully exegete this scripture either. Let me just kind of summarize. Many marriages are happy marriages, but remember, everyone keeps secrets. A lot of men don't tell everything about their lives to their wives, and a lot of wives don't tell everything about their husband about their lives to their husbands. And sometimes, particularly if the marriage is close, you can see it. I can get home, step inside the threshold of my front door, and look across the room, not one word said, and I can look and see if something's wrong or not. Just by her demeanor. Expression on her face. And then I wonder, am I in trouble now? Pain and anxiety in child rearing and raising pain and disappointment in marriage. Struggle and toil to keep this earth for the glory of God. That's what God had intended Adam and Eve to do. Keep the garden. 
But again in Genesis 3, it says, because he said to Adam, the Lord said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam, because of your sin, you're going to have to strive against creation, which from this day forth shall be in rebellion against you. We don't know what it's like to plant a garden and not worry about worms that will eat your fruit or thorns that will invade the plowed ground. Adam and Eve were given dominion over all the earth to keep it. Because of sin, from that moment on, there would be no peace between man and creation. There would be no peace between parent and child. There would be no perfect peace between within a marriage. There would be no perfect peace because of the struggle and toil to keep this earth for the glory of God. What we think we know about peace is not very much. Because that's not how peace is supposed to work. That's not how any of it is supposed to work. And here's the tragic thing. All of these things we experience are consequences of our sin, but the main part, the main consequence of the sin, there's no perfect peace between the Lord God and mankind. And if you are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not received him as your Savior, there is no perfect peace between the Lord God and you. The Bible gives us a lot of evidence. Isaiah 59, through the prophet, the Lord tells us that no one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They, their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. There is no justice in their ways. They made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. So if you are outside of Christ, if you do not know him as your personal savior, you do not know peace with God. You may have some imaginary subjective idea about a good God who loves everyone and everything and just lets them live any way they want to, but that's not the true God. And you don't know peace.
no peace between the Lord God and you, my fellow sinners. The Lord Jesus himself even said so. John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The word here, abide, the wrath of God rests. It's like a cloak, a covering, smothering whoever is under judgment. Most of us are familiar with Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Romans 2.5, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation, the righteousness, righteous judgment of God. So you're, if you're outside of Christ, you have no hope for peace. You do not know peace at all. But there is a wonderful thing, and I'm going to tie Genesis 3 to our passage in Luke. When Adam and Eve's sin were discovered in Genesis 3, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, because you have deceived the woman, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and your, on your belly you shall go, and the dust and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 15 is very important, because in that declaration... God places judgment upon not just snakes, but the serpent, Satan himself, who came in deceptively, who came in under in disguise and gave promise of restored peace in Christ the Savior. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He specifically shall bruise your head, serpent. And you shall bruise his heel. I like what Michael Horton wrote years ago. According to the Bible's account in the book of Genesis, the human race was the showcase of divine creation. Men and women were uniquely designed to have a relationship with God that even the highest-ranking angels could never enjoy. But because of Satan's deceptive influence, man lay in ruins. Lucifer forgot to figure on God's love and mercy. Just as the race of man declared war, God announced peace. But here's the thing. Man has remained at war with God ever since, and yet God keeps proclaiming peace.
And in our text this morning, the angel said to the shepherds, some of the most humble servants in the community, who would believe them? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those whom he is pleased. Perfect peace may only be found in Christ and nowhere else. He has taken upon his own body the wrath of the Father for the judgment of your sin. That's why we need to understand what this peace is all about. We just don't get to run around like the 1960 and 70 hippies and say, Peace, dude. Wishing everybody harmony and love. It is peace between yourself and God the Father because of Christ's sacrifice, because of his redemption, his shed blood. Ephesians 2, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He who made us both one and is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Christ is the one who secures peace with God the Father. There is, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no more anger between God and you. There is no more judgment between God and you. We may boldly enjoy his presence. And though we recognize ourselves as sinners and sometimes are ashamed to even turn our face that way, we need to remember that, that sin has already been taken care of. It's already been cleansed away, and he sees it no more. Right now, in this life, because of what Christ has done, if you have him as your Savior, you are as close to understanding what perfect peace is as you can possibly be. That's why we celebrate this table. That's why we remember what is done here for us by him. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, thank you for, for your Savior and for his offering, for his life, for the righteousness that he lived in order that he might give that righteousness to us and take our sin upon himself. May we not be distracted by the holiday chaos 
let us remember as we think on his birth, let us remember why he came and what he accomplished. Let us rejoice in the peace that is provided through his shed blood. It is for the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus we pray. Amen.